Ephesians 5, if you are not there already. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 21. Ephesians 5, 15 to 21. Well-known passage. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, even as we gather here this morning in hope, in Christ alone, it is the desire of our hearts that you would speak to us through your word. As we gather as your church, as we open the word of God, do a work in our hearts, Lord. Help us to grasp the heights of your plans for us, to understand what the will of the Lord is. Even in this moment, Lord, as we open the word of God, change us. Where there is sin in our hearts, root it out. Open our eyes to your glory that we may behold wondrous things this morning through your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me boldness, give me authority to proclaim your word with clarity, with simplicity, that you may be honored in all that we say and do in this hour. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, today is January 8th, which means that it is Clinton and Judah's 8th birthday. And uh, it's hard to imagine that they are 8 years old. In fact, this morning I was was thinking about, or this week I was thinking back, because We ended up moving here two months after the boys were born. In fact, the whole reason we had to move was because they had been born, so that we had to delay our move by two months. And and so we moved, and and shortly after we moved here, as we were getting settled to the idea of, of having twins and getting used to what it means to be parents, one of the things that that we quickly realized was that children, babies, but children in general, are just not very aware of their surroundings. They're just completely oblivious to everything that's going on around them. This really kind of occurred to us on Mother's Day of 2015, our first Mother's Day. And we were getting ready one morning, and and Krista had the twins sitting up on the bed, and uh, we were getting dressed and getting ready and getting them ready and everything involved in all of that. And uh, they, they hadn't really rolled over yet. They had rolled a little bit, but, I mean, they, they were pretty sedentary. And uh, so we left the room real quick. We were doing something, and we came right back, and we hear this thump. And sure enough, Clinton had rolled right off the bed. He just was not aware of his surroundings. He rolled over, having no idea that there was nothing there. He didn't even think to check, huh, if I roll over now, is there going to be something there? Something solid? He just did what he did. He rolled and boom. 
Thankfully, he was, he was okay. It was an eye-opener to us as new parents. Uh, kind of scary there on our first um, Mother's Day morning. But that's something you quickly realize. Not, not only when it comes to rolling, but, but even when it comes to walking. Kids just have no awareness. I can't tell you how many times one of our kids has walked straight into a wall while turned around or looking down at something. Just boom, straight into a wall. Or we often will, will go to Pizza Ranch. Uh, our kids love Pizza Ranch, so it's a big treat to get to go to Pizza Ranch. And I can't tell you how many times they're walking around with stuff on their plate and they're holding the plate like this and everything's just falling off the plate as they're walking. There's, just, there's no awareness there. Or how many times I've had to chase down a child before they just aimlessly wander out into the street. I've told you the story before how Ted one time walked just straight out the front door. We didn't even know he could open it yet, but he figured out how to open the door. And so we're all in the house doing stuff, and all of a sudden, where's Theodore? And someone from the pet store across the street brought him back to us. He had just wandered out the door and walked straight across the street and just, I don't know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He's just going, aimlessly, moving. It was terrifying. They just, they have, they have no awareness As we turn to our passage this morning, Paul calls us not only to walk with purpose, but also to walk in wisdom, to have awareness as we walk in the Lord, as we live. Last week in verses 1 to 14, we, call, we saw the call to walk with purpose. Imitate the Lord, walk in love, walk in thankfulness, walk in the lights. You have a purpose. But this morning, Paul moves forward, not just walking with purpose, but walking in wisdom. You see, just because you are walking with purpose does not guarantee that you are walking in wisdom. Plenty of crimes have been committed with purpose. But that's not wise. The reality is where there's a lack of purpose, there's a lack of wisdom. So it's, it's necessary to walk with purpose. But as we walk with purpose, taking at each step purposely, we also must walk with wisdom. And that's what we see this morning. As the Apostle Paul calls us to walk with wisdom, and there's two points, be wise and be filled with the Spirit. Be wise and be filled with the Spirit. First thing we see this morning is the call to be wise in verses 15 to 17. And verses 15 starts with the phrase, see then that you walk circumspectly. See then. As I mentioned coming out of verses 1 to 14, the call to walk with purpose, the call to walk in the light, because you are light called out of the darkness. So seeing that, Walk circumspectly. In fact, those two words there, see and then walk. See then that you walk. The idea here is a continual need to make, to keep making sure that you are walking this way. Pay attention to it to make sure that you are walking in this way. In what way? Circumspectly. 
It's the same idea when you, when you start to drive, you get your license, or even maybe today, as you've been driving for years, you need to be reminded, keep your eyes on the road. It's not just a one time, right? Look at the road. I looked at it. Now I can do other things while I'm driving. It is a constant keeping your eyes on the road. Know what is coming. Look what's ahead. That's the same idea here. As you live, live circumspectly, paying careful attention, keeping your eyes on the road ahead. This is not something that comes naturally to us. It takes concentration. It is a moment-by-moment decision to find out and pursue what pleases the Lord, even as we saw in chapter 5, verse 10. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. It is a constant, moment-by-moment pursuit of that. Stepping perfectly, purposefully asking myself, is this acceptable to the Lord? 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 Keeping my eyes on the road ahead. See then that you walk circumspectly, paying careful attention, moment by moment. There's a contrast here between fools and the wise, right? Not as fools, because fools, they do not walk circumspectly. Fools walk without purpose or direction. They react moment by moment rather than planning and purposeful prodding. Don't walk like that. Don't live as a fool without any purpose or direction. But wise. Be the wise man who walks circumspectly, moment by moment. In fact, verse 16 kind of clarifies what this looks like for us. Redeeming the time. It looks like a moment-by-moment stepping purposefully, but but it also looks like redeeming the time. Really the idea of even buying it back, of using every minute purposefully. If you do Dave Ramsey or you listen to anything that he does, right? he always talks about how every dollar has a home. Every dollar has purpose. It's the same idea here. Every minute, every moment has purpose. Attached to it. Don't let even one minute go without purpose. Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. It's because we are living in a dark In dark and evil days that we must take each step with purpose. It is because of this that we must take hold of every moment. And this is not a new idea. Back in Psalm 90 verse 12, the psalmist says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Redeem the time. Don't let a single moment slip by. 
the Christian life, the church. It's a lot less like a bunch of guys on the golf course at a country club, and it's a lot, lot, a lot more like enemies behind soldiers behind enemy lines. On the golf course, it's easy going. You can meander up to your ball. You can hit it. You can talk. You can take a break. It's it's easy. It's fun. There's no purpose there. That's the whole point. When you're soldier behind enemy lines, you can't even lose attention for one minute. The consequences could be dire. It's a call to constant vigilance where even one moment of idleness could mean destruction. Brothers and sisters, the church is behind enemy lines. And in our Christian lives, we must take hold of every single moment. Invest it for the glory of God. Let every minute have purpose. That's what it looks like to walk in wisdom. And he goes on, therefore, do not be unwise. Therefore, because the days are evil, redeem the time because the days are evil. God's way is always best. Even in the perfect world, even in the garden, God's way was best. But all the more, now that we are living in evil days, all the more God's way is best. Given the danger of these evil days, we need all the more to submit to God's will. Therefore, given that these days are evil and we should be redeeming the time, do not be unwise. Do not waste time. Do not walk purposeless. But therefore, because the days are evil and you are called to walk in wisdom, therefore, understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. There's really a bit of a progression here in this passage. We already referenced verse 10 once. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Walk with purpose, seeking what is acceptable to the Lord. But now, as you get to verse 17, it moves beyond finding it out to understanding what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. There's a distinct difference between hearing something and understanding something. And it gets to even the the heart of why you do something. The heart of your pursuit of understanding what the will of the Lord is. It's less about mere duty and it's more about love. To help us kind of understand this idea of, of the difference between understanding and just hearing, think about, think about movers. 
If you're planning to, to move, say you got a different job or you're, you're moving somewhere else, or um, let's, let's put a good spin on it. Say you live in Ankeny and you're moving to Altoona so you can be close to your church, so you can invest in your community. All right, there's, there's a reason why you're moving. Now let's say you hire professional movers. Are they going to help you move? Yeah. Are they going to do a good job? Yes. They're going to do an excellent job. And yet there's a difference between when you hire professional movers and when you use family and friends. Professional movers are there. They've heard the assignment and they will do it. And they will do it excellently. But the reason they're doing it is just duty. I'm doing it because this is my job. There's no passion behind it. Whereas family and friends, they understand the context of why you are moving. They know you. Each thing of of furniture that they move for you, they know the story behind it. In fact, they probably have some of their own stories behind it. They've agreed to help you, not out of some duty. It's because they care about you. Their help is motivated by their love. And that's the difference between doing something out of duty or doing something out of understanding, out of love. There's lots of people that try to obey the Lord out of duty. That's legalism. We talked about that earlier. But this says understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand it. Not just do it, but understand it. Understand the heart of the Lord behind everything that he has commanded. Understand not just what he has said, but why he has said it. It's because he is God. It's because he is good. It's because all things work together for our good and his glory because of who he is. In fact, we'll see that all the more as we get further into this passage, down into verse 20, giving thanks always for all things. That is possible because I understand what the will of the Lord is. And we'll see that as we get down into that passage. Brothers and sisters, walk with purpose. Walk with wisdom. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians 4, 20-21 tells us that you've, you've heard of him, you've been taught of him, you have learned Christ. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So be wise. Pay attention, redeem the time, and understand the will of the Lord. Next we see the call to be filled with the Spirit. You get into verse 18, and do not be drunk with wine. Right? That flows out of that whole discussion between the foolish and the wise. Being drunk with wine, that is the foolish. That is the one who walks purposeless. The one who walks without understanding. The one who gives control over to this drink. All it does is it leads to dissipation, reckless abandon. It only brings destruction. 
This is the fool who walks out of control. Brothers and sisters, you must walk divinely controlled. Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Foolish walking and living. Rather, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Note there, it doesn't say to fill yourself. It says, be filled. It is God who does the filling, but your responsibility is to position yourself to be filled by pursuing God's will and drawing on God's enablement. As you understand the will of the Lord, as you pursue doing what pleases the Lord, God's will is fulfilled in you by the Spirit. One commentator notes, and I think this is an important distinction between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. Pastor Craig had touched on this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. The filling of the Spirit goes beyond the indwelling by the Spirit. All right, so these are two different things. We talk about being indwelt by the Spirit. The Spirit indwells the believer at the moment of conversion. You're baptized in the body of Christ. And he never leaves. If you are in Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit. He's taken residence inside of you. We see that in passages like 1 Corinthians 6, 18-19. Romans 8, 9, Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit indwells you. He lives within you. But that is different than being filled with the Spirit. He indwells you, but being filled is different. It is always possible to be filled, but being filled is the result of a moment-by-moment -moment conscious submission of the believer to walk in wisdom according to the will of God. Getting back to that quote I started reading earlier, the filling of the Spirit goes beyond indwelling by the Spirit. Indwelling refers to the Spirit taking residence in the believer, while filling is the direction or control that the indwelling Spirit possesses as the believer draws on his presence. The Spirit always indwells you. But being filled by the Spirit is the idea of submitting your will to God's will, submitting your strength for God's strength. It is to live influenced by God, drawing on the power of the Spirit that lives within you. Be filled with the Spirit. Place yourself in a position for God to work in you, molding you in His image. Drawing on God's enablement. What does this look like? What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Apostle Paul goes on to give three evidences of this, and these are not necessarily exhaustive. These are some of the things that will mark the life of someone who's filled with the Spirit. Someone who is constantly living in the empowerment, drawing on, submitting himself to, God and being filled with the Spirit. The first is seen in a joyful heart responding in song. Verse 19. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. 
This is a joyful heart that is responding in song. And yet notice here that there's kind of two focuses. There's one response, singing, but in this singing, there's two different focuses. First, there's a horizontal focus. It's looking at life in the body, mutual teaching and edification. As we sing, confessing truths and song, we are speaking to one another. To those around me, I am confessing this is true. The prayer of my heart is that the Lord would speak to me through His Word. As I stand here and I confess in song today, I am confessing that I stand redeemed. We are ministering to one another in song. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, the same three categories that we see in Colossians 3.16, kind of a sister passage here. And lots of ink has been spilled diving into what is the difference between psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I don't know that's necessarily the point here. But the point is whether you're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, you are singing them to one another. You are ministering to one another. There is a song on your heart. You are engaged with the body. But secondly, not just a horizontal focus, but there's also a vertical focus. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Praising the Lord with your whole being, responding to what God has done for us in Christ. As I am ministering to the body and being ministered to, so at the same time in the core of who I am, in my heart, I'm responding to God. My focus is on Him. I'm lifting high His name, proclaiming His greatness. The heart of one who's filled with the Spirit is a heart of rejoicing and worship. And it really leads right into the next evidence. Not just singing, not just joy, but also giving of thanks. Thankfulness. Worship is an expression of thankfulness and is evidence of a life of thankfulness. Verse 20, giving thanks. Also note there that that is not the first time in this chapter that that's come up. We just saw that last week. In verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That should be the language of one who is in Christ. And here we're getting to the core of why that is. It is because you have been filled with the Spirit. He is at work in you. And note the key words here. Note the emphasis. Giving of thanks when I'm having a good day. No. It says giving thanks always. And in case you don't understand what always means, he goes on to clarify, for all things. 
Now, if that doesn't grab your attention, I don't know what will. What do you mean giving thanks always for all things? How is that even possible? What about in a home? A broken home. What about in a home where there's constant conflict? You're telling me I should give thanks for that? You're telling me that that even when I have a wayward child? When I'm having troubles in my career? When I or someone I love is walking through cancer, even then I should give thanks? Always, for, all, things. How can this be? Because this is a thankfulness that is not motivated by my circumstances. This is a thankfulness that is not motivated by outcome. This is a thankfulness that is motivated by understanding and faith. This is a thankfulness that goes back to the fact that I understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not just that I'm doing it in obedience out of some duty. At the core of who I am, deep down, I understand that God's will for me is my sanctification. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. I understand that God is doing something deep and purposeful in me that goes beyond what I can see or understand in this moment. And so I can be thankful for the difficulty of right now. Because I understand that God's will for me is so much higher and greater than what is going on right now. Even through right now, he is working and he is accomplishing that. How can anyone live this way? You can't. This is the Spirit's work in you. You are filled with the Spirit. And He, working in you, helps you to understand what the will of the Lord is and to submit in thankfulness to a good God who is doing all things well for His glory and for your good. In fact, that's what He goes on to say. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. To God in the name of Christ. My thankfulness is focused to God who is doing it, and it is through Jesus Christ who has made it possible. My thankfulness is filtered through the cross and the empty tomb. These testimonies to God's grace and love to me. And I know that what God has begun, He will not abandon in me. He will bring it to completion, as Philippians 1 reminds me. I know that His will for me is my sanctification. I know that the present suffering of this moment pales in comparison to what is coming. I know that I'm living in a broken world, but I have an eternal hope. 
So I respond in joyful song. I respond in giving of thanks in all circumstances for all things. And finally, I respond by submitting to one another in the fear of God. We live in a culture that hates that idea of submission. I would submit to you that the idea here is less along the ideas of mutual submission to one another and more along the ideas of a proper ordering. Just as I am giving thanks in all, always for all things, with that mindset then, understanding the will of the Lord, I am able to then submit to those that he has placed over me. Maybe I don't agree with my pastor in this little area. But you know what? God has placed him there. So in the spirit, I will submit to him. Wives, maybe you don't agree with your husband in this thing. But you are called to submit. And as long as he is being faithful, and whatever this thing is does not go contrary to God's word, you are called, even as we'll see moving forward, to submit to him. Now, it's not to say that mutual submission and love is, is not called for. We've already dealt with that, the idea of being good to each other, of mutually loving each other. It's already dealt with in the call to love, as we saw last week in verses 1 to 2 of chapter 5. But the idea here is a proper ordering, a willingness to submit myself as God has placed me. Joyfully and willfully to those with authority. As I mentioned earlier, those who recognize the goodness of God's purpose and respond in thanksgiving must also recognize the goodness of God's plan and submit in faith to those that he has placed in authority. And note this, not because of who that person is, but I am submitting to one another in the fear of God. I am willing to submit to you not because of who you are, but because of who I am in Christ and whose I am in Christ. I submit to you out of awe of a God who I know is working all things for, together for good, who has placed you in that position. So as you sum all of this up, to be filled with the Spirit, walking in wisdom, even going back to the beginning of the passage, is to be fully submitted to God's purpose and plan for his glory. It is a moment-by-moment -moment decision that is based in an eternal viewpoint with eternal perspective. Because of who God is and what he is doing and because of my ultimate hope, today, moment-by-moment, -moment, each step will be taken with purpose, submission to God's will. I will walk wise because of who God is and because of what I know he is doing because I understand what the will of the Lord is and it is so much greater than anything that I can do or say. So brothers and sisters, by way of application this morning, I would call you to be wise. I would call you to redeem the time 
to live with purpose. Let every step you take in life be made purposefully. Walk circumspectly because the days are evil. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And understanding that then, be filled with the Spirit. As you submit to the Lord, let Him work in you. Submit your will to Him, your strength to Him, your view of life to Him, to His purpose. Let Him fill you and work in you for His glory and for your good. And it will be evident to all around you as we join together in joyful song, as we rejoice in thankfulness to the Lord in all situations, for all things, and as we submit to one another joyfully and willfully, understanding the will of the Lord.